is Adam, and we had the opportunity to talk to William Goldsmith of the legendary band Sunny Day Real Estate. He was also in Foo Fighters and the Fire Theft, but he started a brand new project called Assertion. We talk about that as well. William was born and raised in the Seattle area. He talks about that and how he got into music. One of nine children in his family, big, big family. Got into drums around 13, was interested in drums though, starting at about age five. He talked about all the bands he was in prior to landing on Sunny Day Real Estate. He was in the hardcore scene for a long time. Talks about how Sunny Day Real Estate formed. Obviously, the process of getting signed to Sub Pop Records and putting out Diary and just the immaculate career that Sunday Day Real Estate has had and the influence they've had on so many, so many bands. William talks about drumming with the Foo Fighters. He was really the Foo Fighters' first drummer when Dave Grohl started to form a live band. He grabbed Nate Mantel from Sunday Day Real Estate and William, and they got together and they started to rehearse that first Foo Fighters record. So he breaks down his whole story from Sunday Day Real Estate to joining Foo Fighters to reuniting with Sunny Day to the fire theft. And of course, all about this new project he has. It's called Assertion. They already have one record out and he talks to us about pretty much having their second record almost completely done. So make sure to check out the interview. The video version is up on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Assertion. So this podcast is about you and your journey in music. Um, I don't know if you mind touching on the Sunday Day stuff or the Foo Fighters stuff at all. And obviously- Yeah, just let it rip. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to start at the beginning. Where were you, where were you born and raised? Uh, Seattle, Washington. Okay. So you did grow up in Seattle. I grew up. I was born at a hospital in Seattle, uh, Virginia Mason, but then I grew up in Kirkland, which is like 11 minutes outside of downtown. Okay. Mm. And what was it like growing up there? Um, back then it was pretty cool. It was pretty mellow, you know, it's changed a lot, but, uh, but you know, it was, um, you know, it was it's a suburb basically, <laughs> you know, sure. typical suburb. Was there like a lot of music around or would you have to go travel into Seattle to, to catch that? Uh, well, when I was younger, um, I was the youngest of nine kids. So music, oh, wow. That's a big yeah, crap. yeah. So the music, um, was always there at the house. So they're always playing records all the time. So, you know, it's like Beatles, Earth, Wind and Fire, Stevie Wonder, um, uh, Steely Dan, uh, I mean, uh, Chicago, early Chicago, I could just go on and on the who. Sure. <laughs> could go so your, your family is big into music or are they musical at all? The rest of yeah. the family? Um, my mother, um, was quite a, uh, she was really good with the clarinet and oh, cool. she was, she was a heck of an ice skater as well. But, um, she, uh, and then my brother, Brian played drums a little bit, but he didn't really stick with it, but he had a drum kit. And so when I was five, I would go down there and just sort of stare at it for a while, you know? So, oh, you know. See, did he, did he keep playing or no? Not really. No. And then we loaned the, he loaned the drum kit out to uh, actually some friends of my other brothers and they never returned him. <laughs> oh, so, I was, so you didn't even get to, to jump on that kit. No, no, I know. So it sucks because we had a kit and then it was gone. And then I begged for a kit from the age of, five until finally they gave in when i was 13 so okay so 13 is when you started to really learn drums yeah would have liked to uh have started earlier but i guess it didn't really matter right if you look at the longevity of your career oh it it mattered it it mattered you know but uh oh well to a certain degree yeah i mean starting it starting it the younger you start you know i think the better it's going to be for the long run but sure but you know it's just the way that it was Okay. So at 13, you get the kit. Were you playing any other instruments prior to that? Uh, n- no, no. I just was focused on the drums. That's what I wanted to do. So, okay. And yeah. what do you start? Do you start trying to learn people's songs or play, play along to records? How did you yeah, get into it? Yeah, I was, so I was kind of a bit of a, um, uh, an ADHD nightmare kid, <laughs> whatever. So, and, but they didn't have an understanding of what that was then. So, uh-huh. you know, uh, so taking lessons was um 
not really the my the the best approach for me. I couldn't latch onto that, and so I just basically would set up my brother's old stereo with these big speakers behind me, and try to learn how to play like uh, uh, Led Zeppelin beats. Oh wow! And uh, the Who and stuff as much as possible. I was also really really into uh, Rush, Permanent Waves, and. 2112. So you really went for like the hardest stuff to play. <laughs> it sounds like a key yeah. moon bomb. Yeah. yeah, I I I I I don't I'm not saying I could uh, um successfully uh, Sure, exa- but it wasn't exactly like you just mirror- started picking up like a Ringo beat. Right? No. <laughs> well, no, but but Ringo is a actually a phenomenal drummer like uh, you know the musicality behind his approach is is something to to not take for granted, that's for sure. Really? Oh, Why yeah, does he yeah, always yeah. get trashed then? I don't understand. I guess I'm not a drummer, so I don't really get it. So from where I, I come from and all the musicians I know, Ringo never gets trashed. Ringo's always recognized as being a very important uh, Interesting. Drummer. Very, very orchestral, very musical drummer. Yeah. That's good to know because, you know, there's always those jabs at him like, oh, is Ringo the best drummer in the world? No, he's not even the best one in the Beatles. And, well, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're really I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there really is no such thing as the best drummer in the world because it's all about individual self-expression. Sure. So, you know what I mean? So, you know, you can say that's my favorite drummer or whatever, but ultimately it's just each person expressing themselves individually and everybody's different. Sure. No, you make a great point. I just was curious because a lot of people I've heard, you know, read or whatever. Not that I'm a drummer, so I wouldn't have any clue. But that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's in the big he's in the biggest band in the world. Right. Ever. So it would make sense that he probably has some skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was was very good. Very good. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, Yeah, is very good for sure. For sure. So you're playing playing along to these records. When do you start playing with people like trying to form a band? Um at that exact same time right when i got oh, really? my drum kit i basically just i i recruited a couple of my classmates in eighth grade and they didn't play anything but i was like well we just we'll figure something out so you know i had a friend who had a keyboard and then we got a little amp with a microphone and uh it was terrible obviously uh but you know you had to start somewhere of course and th- and then when i uh got to high school uh they went to the same high school that i did and uh uh, which was O'Day High School in Seattle. And um, and I met this other guy uh, who was going there named John Atkins, and he actually could really play the bass. And I was like, oh, I was like, he was, I was like meeting a magician, you know? I was like, oh my Lord, you know, wow. <laughs> you actually know how to do it. So, um, so then I uh, started playing. We tried to continue the same band, and then we tried to bring in John Atkins, this guy named Ray Crockett who could play guitar a little bit. And... Uh, uh, a guy named Steve Nordstrom. And um, it was just a whole, uh, basically all of our friends. We were like, you know, oh, we'll all be in a big band, even if you can't do something. And mm-hmm. uh, and then um, as time went on, John Atkins and I, the one who could really play bass, kind of broke away <laughs> and um, started our own project where he actually was playing guitar and singing called The 13. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so that's where I really kind of really sort of started to explore like, actual like playing and like song arrangements and you know finding that spark with someone which i found with him so yeah okay and you put in the band called the 13 did you do that for a while yeah yeah i was uh, up until like you know from freshman year until basically yeah until senior year and then also then the senior year though uh jeremy enoch from sunny day real estate asked me if i would join um this hardcore band that he was in and uh so i did that and they were actually playing shows so that's where i kind of got introduced to that world and then it went from there and uh yeah i mean it's a long it's a long story there's a lot of twists and turns but uh so yeah and then uh, right when i graduated from high school i started also playing drums in a band called positive greed and they were going on tour so right two weeks out of high school I went on my first tour and kind of just didn't stop from that. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was, how was your, how did your fa- family react to that? Did they mind that you were like I'm gonna uh, leave high school and just go straight on tour? Uh, uh, yeah, my, my, yeah, my, my mom was okay with it or just accepted it. My father and I, uh, we butted heads on it quite a bit. I can imagine. Like, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. How was that first tour? Was it, did it kind of spark your love for, for doing this forever? 
Well, yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, it was like an adventure, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a really, really interesting experience. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, camp on wheels. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it was just a very interesting experience. And it was very cool to meet people like, you know, the people that we were, the other bands that we were playing with, like, especially this band called Anti-Schism. Mm-hmm. you know developed quite a bond with them and so it was just cool you know you meet people and you're like everybody's kind of most everybody's kind of like a little family for for six weeks or sure whatever it is you know yeah he did that for a while how, how long were you doing that until sunny day started well so um so then so the band that i was in the hardcore band with jeremy called reason for hate we kind of broke up uh-huh. and i was doing positive greed but then uh reason for hate got back together and so i was playing with them and then uh kevin bird from one of those bands that we were touring with anti-schism he lived in south carolina he moved to seattle and mm-hmm. i started and i started a third band with him called the igloo sect and then um where i was living all of a sudden nate mendel and uh, dan horner from yeah what was to be sunny day mm-hmm. started started coming over and hanging out at the house that i lived at a lot and everybody was like it's weird. We know these guys, but we've never really hung out with them. And now they're coming over all the time. And uh, so it turns out that so Positive Greed had recorded like, uh, I don't know, seven or eight songs or something. And they had heard that recording mm-hmm. and they're like, they the two of them wanted to do a project and they were like, oh, we should get that drummer. So that's why they started coming over <laughs> and they start coming over and hanging out and being you know, like, you know, starting conversations with me and then saying, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, OK, sure. And then they were like, hey, so you should play in a band with with us. And I was like, OK, sure. So then that was a fourth band. And so then, yeah, I was getting a little bit. I was pretty spread pretty thin. And then also that's been getting pretty burnt out. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was also, then I was working, you know, a regular job, you know, as a courier during the day for, you know, eight hours. And then I'd have like on an average of two to three practices a night. So it's pretty crazy. So, um, so then as time went on, um, I, it ended up being sort of whittled down and ended up just doing the band with Dan and Nate. Mm-hmm which was called we had several names but at that time it was called empty set and uh then um jeremy started coming over and hanging out and uh we started i started introducing dan to jeremy's secret you know songs that he would record by himself in his room you know that were definitely not hardcore (laughs) and they were Mm -hmm. you know these really beautiful songs that he'd been doing by himself since he was god 13 14 you know and um and uh we were all just blown away by it it was like you know this person like you know quietly discovering fire by himself in his room <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know so and uh and and in the hardcore world coming across someone who actually can sing and just has a natural sort of ability to sing mm-hmm. is is like is like water in the, in the desert uh, that's why so many bands that I was in, you know, it's like no, no, nobody could sing. So they would just scream, scream. So, yeah, unfortunately. But um, so, yeah. So then I um, Jeremy started opening up for Empty Set, which Empty Set actually became Sunny Day Real Estate before Jeremy joined. And he started um, opening up just like acoustically for us at some shows. And mm-hmm. then um, and then. Nate went on tour with his band, other band, Christ on a Crutch. He went to Europe. And while he was gone, we did a little experiment where we started a little project called Thief Steal Me a Peach, where Jeremy sang and played guitar, Dan played bass, and I played drums, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was the beginning of, that's where the very first, uh, some of the first songs that ended up being Sunny Day Real Estate came from. So... So when Nate got back, we were like, hey, we started doing this and it's kind of better than the 46 songs that we've written to, <laughs> with, without him with, with, with Dan singing. I mean, I was really, really into what we were doing before, but I mean, you know, um, and Dan did his best to try to sing, but it was still like a screaming kind of thing. So it was still a little hard. It was more hardcore. 
A little bit ish. Yeah. It's okay. hard to, it's a very strange music to be honest, but it's, it's okay. hard to, hard to explain, but um, I'll send you some of it and you can hear it. And you'll know. Really? It, but, I would love yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. So, and so we, we did that and we actually played a show with the three of us called Thief. We called ourselves Thief Steal Me a Peach. <laughs> I know there's all these ridiculous names. It's, it's, it's well, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I don't know. The Sunny Day Real Estate one is, I don't know if I would categorize it as good. It's um, it's bizarre. It's legendary, <laughs> man. I mean, that's... Well... I don't know. In the world I came up with, in the bands I grew up listening to, you guys were like... Well, the... Next the level. Well, the band, the band ends up really defining the name eventually over time. So it doesn't matter how dumb your name is. If you, <laughs> the band has... If the band is authentic, then it'll make sure. the name authentic. But... But... If you throw that all aside, the name is kind of silly. But um, <laughs> so so uh, so then when Nate got back from tour, we basically said, "Hey, we're doing this, and we're thinking maybe we should make this the thing, and kind of just sort of ditch all the songs, which was hard to do because, like I said, it was like it was a lot of songs. So so we Nate was like." prove it to me so we had to sit and nate sat on the couch and we had to basically play these songs for him and then um when we got done he goes okay <laughs> so then he basically had he was like so show me uh dan show me what you were doing on bass right there so then nate just basically just played the bass parts that dan came up with dan moved to second guitar jeremy stayed you know oh, vocals. Well, so when yeah. when so i'm sorry i'm really just curious so when yeah. nate was gone what that first band was Jeremy wasn't in it, right? No, no, point. yeah. Well, the 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 so before Nate left, yeah, yeah, that band, that band was, bands. yeah, that was. I know it's very confusing. It was Dan and Nate and I, uh huh. And and then Jeremy was kind of opening up for us acoustically, right, right, right. And then yeah, the, he left. The, Jeremy joined in with you guys. Yeah, but the songs that you had together, like the forty plus songs, were those all what written by Dan? Uh, well, by Dan, Dan and Nate. Uh, oh, and, all three and, uh, of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all arranged and wrote all the songs together. So yeah. then when Jeremy comes in, he's what? Like, Nate's probably sitting there thinking, okay, are the is he going to be work within the, the how the band sure. sonically was going to work out? Okay. Yeah, 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 sure. And then and the new songs we were doing with Jeremy were kind of, you know, different. But I mean, like, so songs like um, Song About an Angel, Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and which is from the first Sunny Day record diary. And then also a song called Rodeo Jones, which was on the second record, but actually was recorded during diary. But just really? Yeah. Yeah. So um, th th those are two of the songs that I could think of off the top of my head that were part of the Thistio Me a Peach project with Jeremy and Dan and I. And interesting. Um, okay. So, yeah. So that was the beginning of that. And um, and then there was a bunch of other songs we did. And I and a couple of them I went back and listened to because there was a live video of that one show we did. And I listened to a couple of them. And I mean, granted, they were rough around the edges. But overall, I was like, gosh, I don't know why we ditched those ones. But oh, well. But uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then that's that's how that happened. And uh, and uh, then we and then around. Uh, so. So. Then we started playing some shows with Jeremy, but it was hard. It was hard to get any shows. There was a period of time where all ages shows were illegal because of this two teen uh, teen dance ordinance thing. So really, it was, it, yeah, it was kind of like Footloose. And uh, oh my gosh, yeah, that's it, crazy. It, yeah, it was weird. So, so you could only play shows in clubs and stuff. And so for the longest time, and even when. They started to lift that team dance ordinance. It was still hard for us to to get some shows, or people were still trying to pull new, you know all ages shows together. Uh -huh. So, and the whole Seattle thing was kind of becoming what it was with like Nirvana of, and in Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, all that. And so to um, to to play in any of the local like clubs, like say Op Ramp or Rock Candy or or the crocodile or whatever, you kind of mm -hmm. had to, you kind of had to have an in, you had to like know somebody They had to know you. And so we were so far removed mm -hmm. from that, from that world, from, you know, this hardcore scene that like anytime Nate tried to call to get us a show, they would just pretty much hang up on him. So, so 
what happened is there was a band that was supposed to be playing at um, the Crocodile uh, called Engine Kid that was going to be playing with another band called Skirt. And Engine Kid had to cancel. And so they recommended to Eric Soderstrom, who booked the Cro Crocodile, that he have us play in their place. So then we played that show. And he basically said, uh, he said, hey, as an experiment, I'm going to put you guys on the Sub Pop Party show coming up, playing first, just to see what happens. Oh, wow. So he did that. And there was like one or two people in the room watching us play. And when we finished playing, one of those two, one, you know, that one person, whatever, walked up to us and said, hey, do you guys want to make a record? And we started laughing, you know, and we were like, you know, Oh, you know, we just didn't, it didn't process, you know? Right. And he, goes, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm Jonathan Poneman from Sub Pop Records. Do you guys want to make a record? And we were like, oh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how that started. And, uh, oh my and it went, gosh. Yeah. It went just from, from that one time slot, if you wouldn't have got that one time slot to think yeah. of like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the band's so good. And obviously, I mean, if you look at the emo world, I don't even know if you guys even approach it in that way at all. I mean, it really wasn't a genre quite really. Yeah. I mean, so the whole emo thing came from an article that I think I believe was written about rights of spring uh -huh. and, and uh, as a way of describing them, I guess. And so, but I don't know the whole emo thing, I guess that means emotional, but right. But to say that like, uh, human emotions being the driving force behind creativity or art or music as a new thing doesn't make sense because it's always not, been that way. Not so, at all. So right. I, I, I don't I don't totally get it. It is what it is. People need to, you know, I don't know. It does, right. No, it I totally understand. I get where you're coming from. You know, but yeah. to me, it's funny because I grew up in, the, in like seeing, you know, the Taking Back Sunday bands like when they were first starting, I I those were the bands I saw and then would backtrack. Right. And then it's like, Oh, lifetime. Okay. Oh, American football. Okay. You know, yeah. Whoever Sunday did real estate mm -hmm. and you, and, but now if you were to ask half the kids on the street, like name an emo band, it's like my chemical romance. Like it, to me, it's mm -hmm. just crazy. But when you look at like, you know, diary was on Rolling Stone. It's the number one record of the 40 greatest emo records of all time. And it really is. Yeah. I don't know. It's a I, test I, time. I, and yeah, have, I mean, to... yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. No, no, I, no, I, no, I, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it doesn't particularly, it doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me that much, but it also, I don't quite, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't logically make sense to me, but it is what it is. <laughs> sure. You know? Well, you were there creating the scene, right? I mean, well, like... no, I, uh, no, not really. We were just another band that was just, trying to experiment with going from hardcore to to space and uh like you know actual like space for melody and like song right. arra song arrangement and uh um you know um more elaborate storytelling as opposed to um just uh in your face kind of more like protest you know Right. Music, you know what I mean? No, yeah. I, I, I get it. I totally understand. Yeah. And I see where you're coming from totally on the emo thing, but I just find it fascinating because not, not to butter your bread or whatever, but like you guys did really create this new scene or genre of music. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I guess I have no idea. Asking any veteran about I, grunge, you know I, what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, ultimately, really, if you if you are going to backtrack it properly, it was really like rites of spring. Really, would be like the foundation of a lot of it. So, so they're the they're the the initial spark that. Okay. You know, and yeah, that's who yeah. the, that's that's they were the ones that were referred to as emo in an article. So Got that's it. where that's where it all started. So we had nothing to do with it. Just <laughs> it, things it just happened. happened the way they it just happened the way it happened. Yeah. So sure, it is sure. it is what it is, you know. Right. But yeah. okay, so then you put out obviously you put out diary and it's this amazing record and you signed up sub pop. What was that moment like? Um really surreal, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, you know, like when you know when I was in high school, I started getting into the whole sort of like 
sub pop sort of thing that was going on and a lot of listening to a lot of local bands and just it was exciting for us because we were like wow these people are you know it's uh they're not like these like virtuoso uh whatever you know hyper trained musicians they're from the punk rock world and they're self-taught and they're just they're expressing themselves and you know they're mm -hmm. making they're making music and they're out there doing it and actually making records and putting them out and to to me that was like this weird like like impossible impossible sort of like thing off in the distance that never thought i would achieve so so yeah i mean it was a very inspiring thing that whole sub pop everything that was coming out of sub pop we were it was very cool so then to end up and uh being on the label was kind of a surreal experience it was like whoa this is totally bizarre mm -hmm. you know so yeah and especially and especially since we are so removed sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you again no um, no i'm interrupting you i'm sorry no 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 and so <laughs> especially since we um uh were so removed from that whole scene you know the hardcore scene it was like two separate worlds so to accidentally get you know brought over there was uh -huh. a strange thing you know sure wow and then you uh, you obviously played with the foo fighters a little bit there in the beginning Nate yeah yeah still plays with them now yeah yeah um, there was toured for 17 months yeah that's crazy like were yeah. you pretty tight-knit with with the guys in nirvana at all or like how did that work no uh no uh i i really liked nirvana a lot so but uh no um uh so um i think nate had gone bowling with dave a couple of times okay <laughs> and uh I would love and, to be there, like a fly yeah, on the wall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. watching uh, Dave Girl bowl. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, uh, but uh, I didn't know that. I think that, yeah, they had done that a couple of times and sort of hung out. And um, Sunny Day was basically, we were, we had decided that we we're going to break up, you know, and um, Jeremy was going to, you know, was going to leave the band. And so, you know, we just sort of had to accept it as a reality. So we, even though we were broke up, broken up, we we recorded one last. Uh, we recorded the Pink record, or mm -hmm. we didn't. We didn't know it was going to be the Pink record, but you know that record. And um, then we uh, then we did one last tour, even though we were broken up with Shudder to Think and um, Soul Coughing for part of it. Brainiac was uh, on another part of it. So mm -hmm. so um. We did that tour, and at the end of that tour, we played um, the last shows, two shows at um, at the Black Cat, and uh, in DC. And afterwards, I was sitting in the uh, the bar area, and someone put a one of the people that uh, worked there put a little folded napkin or something uh, on on the table in front of me, and walked away. And then uh, I opened it and said, "Dave." Uh, Grohl would like you to call him and it had a phone number. So then I called him and he basically said, you know, he said, your band's in the, well, I don't want to swear on here. I don't know if you I can, can swear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, do okay, say whatever right. you want. Yeah. 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 No, he said, is... he, yeah. He said, your band is in the shitter, huh? And I said, yeah, it's flushed. And he goes, Hey, well, do you want, do you want a jam? And I was like, what two drums? What do you mean? And he was yeah. like, no, no. He was like me playing guitar. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay, sure. So then when I got back home, he and I got together and jammed and then Nate came over, the three of us jammed. And then he said, uh, I'm thinking, he said, I'm thinking Pat's gonna, gonna want to do it too. Uh -huh. And Pat, Pat came up and then it just started from there. And then we barely, we barely even had any time to really like, cause he had all these songs that he had already recorded and he was like, these are the songs. And then we basically didn't have very much time to sort of like really integrate ourselves into them before we were having to like play shows. It was just like, right. Like, Cause he, he, I mean, he was obviously a name at this point because Nirvana was well, so successful. So, so successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. So, yeah. So it's so, uh, it, it, yeah. So it was kind of just all of a sudden, you know, ready, ready or not, here we go. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, uh, it was all a very surreal experience. Um, you know, it was all very surreal. Obviously. Were you playing different venue sizes with, with Foo Fighters in the beginning, or was it similar to what you're doing with Sunny Day? Uh, uh, it, you know, we played like a secret show at a warehouse, and then we played a secret show at the Velvet Elvis, and then we played somewhere in 
Portland and I can't remember where it was, but uh, yeah. Um, and then we uh, and then we went on tour with Mike Watt and uh, uh, Hovercraft. And uh, we were we were Mike Watt's band for most of that tour. So and then um, and then I started a a little bit, a a little ways into the tour. I started playing with Hovercraft as well. So then I was doing three sets a night for a while, which was kind of crazy. But and then and uh, yeah, I know I got a little sick, you know, like super hot and sweaty, cold, super hot, sweaty, cold, super hot, sweaty, cold, that kind of thing. So. Uh But uh, but it, whatever it was, it was it was fine. Um, and uh, yeah, and so we did that tour, and then and then after that, it was it. We did we just didn't stop touring. I mean, we toured for seventeen months, so it was crazy. You know. Oh my gosh, it's a little it's a little difficult. Like that that much time on the road is, especially when you're the age I was, where you're your feet aren't even really quite off the ground or on the ground yet. You know, like you don't, you're mm-hmm. not really, you know, you, you, you haven't fully pulled your head out of your ass at that right. point. Right. And uh, so when you spend that much time, you know, uh, not being surrounded by anything that's a reflection of who you are um, and that much time playing drum parts that essentially aren't even really yours, you kind of start to like lose yourself a little bit so yeah right it's probably not as it's not as easy to be attached to the songs i would think if it's just given to you yeah well yeah it was yeah it was strange in that in that regard and then also it was uh uh you know and then when you're playing when you're touring that much and you're playing the songs that many times night after night they almost stop making sense you know it's like being Mm -hmm. a kid uh, being a kid and experiment experimenting with saying one word over and over to yourself again until it just sort of starts to feel and sound weird and you don't understand why the sound is even there and represents what it does. So sure. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that, but no, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Makes yeah. a lot of sense. That yeah, makes a lot so, of sense. So yeah, that was a weird experience and uh, it was surreal. It was also surreal just cause you know, it was like a year after um, Kurt uh, had died. And so um, it was just also very bizarre and surreal. You know, mm-hmm. just all of a sudden being, you know, like being from that hardcore world and then all of a sudden, like, you know, being on Sub Pop was surreal. And then all of a sudden being in that environment was just, it was just a very strange experience kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I could totally see that. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it just, you, now you're in the spotlight of this weird kind of situation where now Nirvana's drummer is now this, you know, yeah, this yeah. band and, I yeah. remember it was a big article in Rolling Stone. I could still vividly remember the Rolling Stone magazine with that announced like, you know, Foo Fighters and had the, the Ray gun on the cover. And it was yeah. this huge thing like, you know, Nirvana's yeah, yeah, drummer yeah. is starting a band and like it, it, it was. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I would imagine it being a weird kind of thing to be oh, yeah. part of there in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't even say I would I would I wouldn't really say I was in the spotlight. I was um i was just so happened to be standing <laughs> standing next to it or a fly on the wall uh, you know in the spotlight it was you know what i mean it was had nothing to do with had nothing to do with me that's right sure. sure yeah yeah and then when well you guys got back together with sunny day pretty quickly after the foo fighters thing and put a yeah, record yeah. out yeah so after i left the foo fighters uh then then uh, I was going down, I was kind of disenchanted a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I was trying to find inspiration again and, uh, was playing with a few people. Um, this guy, uh, Pete Kramiak who played guitar and verbal assault and another band called rain, like the sound of trains kind of forced me to get back on the drums and play. And so that was really cool of him. And then I was playing with a band called the replicants for a while down there and jammed with a few other people. And then, got the call that there was an idea to maybe like put out a, a new a sunny day record that had maybe some old different versions of some songs and, and then maybe track a couple few songs to go with it. Uh, but ultimately we just decided to write an entire record and put it out so and that was how it feels so we just started Mm -hmm. working on the songs and they just kept they were they were happening and so we're like all right well let's just do a record so 
Wow. And that's what yeah. the, where the, where that third album came from. Yeah, yeah. And then we were like, well, we we I guess we could go on tour too. So we did that and yeah, it went it went well. We uh Jeff Palmer played bass on the record and then uh Joe Skyward who unfortunately passed away a little while ago. He um he played bass on the tours for that. And then uh then after that we did the Rising Tide and then uh, Nick McCree from Euphone and Heroic Doses and Greg Saran, uh, a friend of ours who's uh, played with so many people. Like uh, he played, he's the house guitar player for, I think, American Idol now. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's like a phenomenal guitar player. And uh-huh. uh, he was playing with Joe Walsh <laughs> oh, for a while. Dang. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just, you know, he's, he's, uh, like a legendary he's, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just a yeah, phenomenal musician. And Nick McCree is just an unbelievable bass player. And um, and Sunny Day Real Estate would take a band, the Heroic Doses, on tour mm-hmm. a lot. Um, like when Joe Skyward was playing bass, like we would always take Heroic Doses or Euphone. And Heroic Doses is Bill Dolan, Nick McCree, and Ryan Rapsis. And then Euphone was Ryan Rapsis and just Nick McCree. Ryan Rapsis is a drummer that is just unbelievably amazing. And Bill Dolan is one of my favorite guitar players of all time. And Nick McCree is also one of my favorite bass players. And they would basically just blow us away every single night. And so we would take them on tour to open up for us because um, it, it kind of pushed us to, to improve uh, it, I'm not saying we did. I think I have more now, but you know, but it was, uh, but also what was great about those guys is they were such amazing players minus the ego that went with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were, mm-hmm. they were humble, but mind blowing musicians. And uh, so that was really cool. And we became really, really good friends with them. So it was both being inspired, pushed to improve, being able to hang out with your friends and, uh, and uh, also just being able to watch them play every night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then that's how, that's how Nick McCree ended up playing bass for Sunny Day and the Rising Tide uh, tours is because, you know, we were like, we needed a bass player. And I was like, well, you know, it's kind of a no brainer. Like mm-hmm. you should ask Nick if he'll do it. And then he introduced us to Greg Saran and then they, uh, they basically came in and helped with those tours and then he oh. also then nick also played bass in the fire theft whenever nate couldn't make it so when so nick oh because nate was be on tour with foo fighters yeah so like there it was a thing where we had this sort of like rotating thing where nick was playing keyboards uh for the fire theft and then nate would play bass and then uh when nate had to leave or had to you know play shows elsewhere nick slid in and took the took over the bass and then our friend Josh uh, took over the keys. So yeah, it was, yeah, it's pretty wacky. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. And then you did um, the fire stuff for a while though, right? Yeah, but not that long. It was, it was, I guess from 2000 to 2004. I, I have a weird time with time. Yeah. <laughs> no, know? no. So, I mean, you've been yeah, through a right. lot of bands, <laughs> You're a lot, you know, it's been a yeah, yeah. You know, very successful, yeah. long career for you. Yeah, Fire Theft, and you had after that you had some other projects going on, and then Sunny Day got back together again. What? And yeah, yeah. So, well, I had a later. band. Yeah, I had a a project that I was doing um for uh that that was called um Brawley Banks that started mm-hmm. in maybe two thousand and um six ish seven ish around there. And uh, I was also doing a little project and doing some recording with Bill Dolan, that guitar player I was ta- telling you about. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually just learning. He was basically coming out and playing with me until I got better. You know, like he was helping me improve, you know. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, so uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, those guys, so many of the musicians from Chicago are just, they're such a, the bar is up, way up here. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so, so I was doing some stuff with Bill Dolan and then also playing in a band for a little bit called Iku with Kento Oiwan, Michiko Swigs, and then started the Brawley Banks thing. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, 
or no, excuse me. Then a year went where I didn't play because my brother shot himself in the head and it kind of really messed oh me gosh. up. And I, I kind of shut, I kind of shut down a little bit. And I then imagine, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so it is. Yeah, no, it's fine. Thank you. But I mean, so, uh, so then I stopped for about a year and then, um, was doing the Brawley Banks thing. And then, and then a whole, and then a whole laundry list of, of people that were close to me just started dropping like flies and like, I mean, just dying one after the other. It was like, um, uh, yeah, it it really started to mess with me. Uh But I got, I got, we got the call. I got the call about doing the Sunday day reunion. And then, um, so the Brawley Banks project was kind of put on hold. We were working on a record. I went and did that and, it was um, it was an interesting experience. It was pretty cool, but um, uh, and at the same time, I was also struggling with all these people that you know dying. I mean, it was just it was really messing with me. And uh, you know, I can I could sit here and just list them off, but I mean, it's just it would just go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's it it felt weird. It felt like you were almost being chased by death. Right. I to, you know, it's really weird, yeah. but, and it started, it started to really affect me. And, um, and then, uh, sunny day went after those tours were done, sunny day went and tried to record some songs at, um, the 606 studio in uh, Los Angeles. And we, uh, worked on it, I guess for a few weeks or so. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's a difficult thing because, you know, we were sort of given so much time and, you know, so if you're, so if you're a singer and yeah, you, you play guitar and you come up with songs, um, it's natural for the vocal melodies to be rising up out of you when it's connected to another, you know, guitar melody or part that's also rising out of you. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if you are, um, in a situation where say there's a riff by someone else presented to you and you have to integrate yourself to that vocally to that, it takes time. It takes a lot more time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for that sunny day, you know, project where we recorded those songs, we were not given that time. There was, there was not that time allowed. So it was basically like, it was basically like, uh, so get this happening now or not, you know? Oh, it was like a under the gun situation where they're like, yeah, finish yeah. this now or where it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like, yeah, yeah. Like get, get the ball rolling. And uh, there was just not enough time. And therefore there was not enough support. And uh, so, uh, and then, you know, once, once Nate lost interest, then uh, the man, you know, the management company that he was connected to was overseeing the whole thing. And once he lost interest, then it's like all the support was just gone. Oh, so, pulled out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just all said not there anymore. And I, I only really found out about what happened years later. All I knew at the time was that I was supposed to get a phone call up and uh, we were going to have a conference call with the four of us about finishing the record and the phone never rang. And, uh, and then at that, at the same time, I, you know, I had gone back home and the Brawley Banks thing fizzled out because uh, our bass player moved to Guam, our guitar player quit and our, it, it just, it, it fell apart. So it was kind of frustrating for me because I was working on this record and working on this record and they both just went and were mm-hmm. gone. And so then combine that with then with just all the, all the people dying. And I kind of just felt like, you know, you feel kind of like you're being chased by death and and some force is pre- preventing you from able being able to uh, make music and have it come to mm-hmm. fruition. And so I I was kind of just disenchanted. And and um, I mean, I, I can only describe what I was going through. It's sort of a PTSD thing with all the people dying. And then I could also kind of kind of describe it what I was going through as far as the music thing is like a musical PTSD where I was just like, 
I was like, okay, that's, that's it. Fine. I was like, okay, you win. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, whatever it is, it's like, if you don't want, you don't want me to play fine. Fuck you. Right. I'm out. I'm out of here. So, and I literally fell off the face of the earth. I just, I moved to California. I met, um, uh, the, who is the mother of my children now. And, uh, and, uh, moved to California and, uh, was uh we were living together down there and then you know started to have a family and uh mm-hmm. and then just sort of did that and basically avoided music for nine years around nine years so oh, wow yeah and i i didn't not only did i not play music i didn't listen to it didn't want to hear anything didn't want to nothing didn't want to even hear it didn't want to think about it at all oh, so you just totally blocked it out just nothing oh my yeah. gosh yeah completely completely removed it from my life so then what happened was i i um met a guy named justin Tominga, <laughs> and um he had reached out to me basically to express like appreciation for sunny day stuff that he had been inspired by and uh, mm-hmm. i guess and uh, which was really nice and, and, and stuff. But then uh, and then I was looking further into what he was doing and he was uh, teaching music to children and also teaching music and drums to children with autism. And I have a son. Wow. I have a son who has uh, who, who is on the spectrum. Same here. Oh, OK. Yeah. So and I also got him a drum set uh, oh. during this quarantine. That's, oh, that's so cool. cool. I yeah, got him yeah. an electric one because we were living in a, uh, a townhome with a guy, you know, shared wall. So I'm like to save my <laughs> neighbor yeah, 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 one yeah. to kill me. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, got yeah. him an electric drum kit. That's cool. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a way that he can get out some of, you know. Yeah. Although it's for me, it's right now it's our, our youngest daughter who seems to be taking the biggest interest in the drums. But Logan, Logan, uh, he, he he sometimes will sit down, but he's kind of been kind of, um, I don't know, shy about it or intimidated by it. I'm not sure. So I'm just, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I'm going to when the time feels right, I'm going to try to get him to see if he's you know, into see. it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. but Myra is all over it. And then Araya, our oldest daughter, she can already play drums a bit. So that's cool. Wow. So, but um, but uh, but I saw that and that was very interesting to me and um then then i discovered his band with his children called pig snout dahlia and lucian Tominga. Oh. and not only were the songs really really amazing but it was just also really cool that there there it was this band with his, uh, this dad and his two kids and they were writing these great songs and but but aside from that what hit me is I saw this guy sharing that part of himself with his children. And it was this slap of reality. Like I was like, I'm not, not only am I not sharing this part of myself with my children, I'm hiding it from them. I'm, I'm not even, they don't have no idea. And so I realized that I needed to make a change. And so that's when I decided to start playing again. And uh, and so Justin um, and I just from Justin Tominga from Pig Snout, we just basically he started coming over and we started he started kind of kicking me like a horse and and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 we started playing and then we would play more, play again. And then all of a sudden song ideas started to come and then we started to write these songs. And then we asked our friend Brian, who Justin plays in a band called Blind Guides with and mm-hmm. uh, Brian Gorder. And so then Brian started coming out and playing bass and then, and then we just started writing songs and it went from there and I started again, took a look, took a little while to shake off the cobwebs, but uh, you know, there was definitely a, a physical um, sort of re uh, sort of adjustment that I had to make, you know, I had to build my endurance level back up. Right. I mean, as a drummer, I can't even imagine like trying to get back (laughs) into shape, so to speak. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, you know, playing for, you know, a couple hours and all of a sudden you start to feel like these knots in your arms and stuff. And mm-hmm. so it took me a little while to get um, to get through that, but I did. And uh, and the way I got through that was just play. I just started playing every single day. So 
And uh, so, yeah, and then we started recording. Um, we played some shows. We started recording. What was it then, like to play play those shows like after coming back for so long? Was it something that uh, excited you? Uh, yeah, no, it was cool. It was. Um, uh, I guess what was good about it was. Um, so like in the past, I would be like so in my head and like if uh, things didn't go as planned during the show or if like, uh, you know, like I feel like I was wasn't at the best or how, you know, I want where I wanted to be as far as that performance. Um, I was hyper self-critical and then also would just would just destroy myself after the show would just basically get so depressed. I didn't even want to see anyone talk to anyone. So mm -hmm. so uh, what was cool is we played those shows and a few things went south and it just I didn't even affect me. I, I just was like I just, you know, I was able to just sort of roll with it and not not get in my head. I think having kids helps that. I think it puts things into perspective a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, but also, you know, I mean, I just I'd done a lot of work on myself. I'd gone from, you know, heavy drinking and drug use in the earlier days to stopping all that and seven years of martial arts training and then wow and and, and trying to, you know, clean my digestive system also did uh, a lot of uh, several years of uh, rolfing, which is basically where they uh, break down your muscle tissue with pressure and time to mm -hmm. have it, to have it uh, rebuild itself to where it should be before you injured it. <laughs> really? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's not a, it's physically, it's very challenging. It's not, it's kind of painful, okay. but if, you learn like how to cupping where they no, no, no. Uh... It's, it's like very, very strong, big woman from Tasmania and elbows oh, oh and my her God. and and her body weight. So, <laughs> you know, um, so that was a great thing. So I, you know, I mean, I'd done quite a bit of work on myself trying to basically um, get out of the sort of the weird sort of self-loathing, self-destructive mindset, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and uh you know, just uh, stop uh, identifying with, you know, um, thoughts when your brain is sort of like getting carried away with itself and thinking that it's in the driver's seat and mm -hmm. observing, observing the thoughts and uh, realizing that that's all they are, that kind of a thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's pretty much. So, then... yeah, that, that, that's, that's, and then it's gone from there. We, we, we pretty much, we were started recording the lockdown happened. So we're like, oh, well, let's just keep recording. What are we going to do? You know? So then we recorded and then we made uh, the first record, met John Frazier, who runs Spartan Records. And he said, hey, I'll put it out. So we were like, great. And then lockdown was still happening. So then we just kept recording. And so now our second record is about 85% done. Wow. And so we just need to finish vocals on a couple songs and mix it. I've been saying it's 85. So basically it was like, um, like almost finished, but then we started playing shows again. And then, so that kind of has slowed down that recording process because we've been focusing on getting the live set mm -hmm. together together. So we, um, so yeah, so then we've been working on that. So but intermission wasn't um, released that long ago, right? It was released this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, you we guys were working we were, hard. Well, we were halfway. Well, there was just nothing else to, you know, we couldn't play shows. So we were just and we were really inspired and the songs were coming. So. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm really, really, really excited about the next record. Like the everything that we learned from making the first record was the starting point for making the second record. So so it's been uh, it's been good. And it's uh, the songs are are. I'm, I'm really proud of uh, Intermission, our first record, mm -hmm. but the next record, uh, which is going to be called Basking in the Gaslight, <laughs> uh, is uh, that we raised the bar on that quite a bit. So Wow. Song, wow. song, songwriting wise, and then also production wise. So. That's cool. I'm, I'm curious real quick to, to back up for a half a second here. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you know, you kind of held, you kept music away or you, you, you hid that part of your life for such a long time. Did you not have like, you know, a drum kit in your house? Like none of, none of that, or you just, 
Um, no, I, I have I my drum kit. I basically just sort of kept with me traveling and I would just stored it basically. Did you so did your kids know you played drums or had that you know side of your life or no? Um, well, our, our older our older daughter, um, Ariah, she knew because um, Channery, her mom, our, our, you know, she she had told her and she would play her some stuff. You know, oh, like, okay. Yeah, I didn't know if this that, was something that you that you were like you got the you know you're sharing with yeah. them and they're like, oh my gosh, like what? My dad well, was in this yeah, huge no, band. <laughs> uh, uh, no, Araya Araya knew and she, okay. she she Araya started to get an understanding of a little bit as over time as to why I wasn't playing. Araya Araya right. really 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 liked Jeremy's voice and so she was really she really liked the fire theft and sunny day stuff. So, uh-huh. but um. But, you know, um, she would just listen to it, you know, separately from me, <laughs> you know, right. like, you know by, yeah, by I was just curious if if they even knew that you what you were what you had done and what you yeah. had accomplished as a well, drummer. But with, but with the little ones, you know, I mean, so uh, Mayura is is now four and Logan is six. So for them, it was it's been, you know, so they're still pretty new to the landscape of everything. So sure. So for them. It was like an all of a sudden, oh, you know, wait, this is what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, 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 they were introduced to it without any sort of like, sort of a comprehension of the backstory for obvious reasons. They're, you know, right. they're new. They're new to the world, and you know, right, 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 right. So, okay. and the backstory is so complicated. How do you begin to explain it? But uh, <laughs> so you can play so, an episode of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, even then they'd be like, huh? But <laughs> so, yeah, so so now there and what was really cool is. We um, we played a show recently with Pig Snout. Oh, cool. And what we did is there were some Pig, Pig Snout songs where we were both bands were up playing together and Dahlia and I were both on drums. And then there was a song where Lucian and I were both on drums and uh and um, and then they played on on some assertion songs. So that was that was really cool. Kind of a full circle thing there. And then um, uh, that was Logan and Araya's second show, their first being picked out three years ago, actually. And then uh, uh, that was Mayura's first show ever. But all three of them, it was their first time ever seeing me play a show. Wow. So that, that was was that special? Oh yeah, it was a huge thing. It was kind of it only kind of really occurred to me after the fact. I don't know if it was I think it was just a, such a crazy thing that this is the first time they were going to see me doing this that I don't think my brain would allow me to process it yet. Mm-hmm. So uh but no, it was great and Mayura actually sat on my lap for for one of the songs and that was cool. Wow, so that's really cool. That yeah, and then really really cool. And then Logan helped me break down my drums and pack them up afterwards. So it was a very special, cool experience. That is, that sounds so cool. Yeah. And the, yeah. And the record is amazing. Um, were you able to record that? Like, where were you able to record that and how did that process go? I'm just curious because of the lockdown. Oh, in there, right in that room there. Yeah. Yeah. We recorded just in this room above my garage. That's where we record everything. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. easier, easier than what I was thinking. You had to like travel <laughs> or try no. to like work with some engineer and some no. studio and everything's yeah. locked down. Yeah, okay. no, no. Yeah. Justin's the engineer. Justin's the producer. Uh, I try to help engineer and I produce as far as um, lending in, a, you know, like a, an objective ear to what we're working on. But as far as the heavy lifting is concerned, Justin is the Justin's the guy that that deserves the purple heart for all that. But <laughs> but um. But yeah, no, and we, uh, and yeah, Justin and I just got into a rhythm where like um, two times a month, he would come over from Friday until Monday. And from Friday to Monday, we would just write, record, write, record, write, record, experiment, you know, and just just go crazy. And we've just been inspired and we have a very cool sort of like, uh, it's very cool when you can have like an egoless collaboration mm-hmm. with someone. Um, to where you're basically like um, exchanging ideas and getting to this point where you you couldn't have gotten to that point without the the musical and or sort of spiritual exchange or conversation, uh, you know. Um, 
you know, it's like those three scientists that came up with that M theory thing. The only reason the only reason it came up uh, came into existence was because the three of them had this conversation on a long train ride. And it was that conversation and interaction and collaboration that led to that theory, which was so crazy and insane. And uh, the similar thing, you know, it's like when you're able to collaborate uh, with someone uh, like that, you can create music that is is uh, a, a sort of a level up as far as just like really expressing and uh, authentically expressing your humanity or documenting the human experience like mm -hmm. all around uh, you know kind of mm -hmm. hard to explain but you know so yeah oh, yeah there's yeah. like an energy when you guys play yeah yeah well and uh, just and when we you know work together and basically bounce ideas off of each other and you know we are you know we're willing to try this to make sure that this way to do it is actually the right way or you know like it's like a safe space. You don't feel like you're, you know, you're. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then, you know, and he and I will always be like listening to something and we'll always agree on whichever is the right way. We'll always be like, oh, eh, no, that's the way. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So, no, yeah, it's great. It's really cool. That is really cool. And you have a new, you're already working on the next record, which is almost done, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Stuff. when, I don't know when exactly we're going to put it out, but we're going to try to have it done within the next, we're gonna to try to have that record finished. I'm hoping in two months. Wow, very quickly. That's yeah. cool. Very oh. cool. Yeah. Are you doing a big tour or anything? Or just? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're so so considering that we're all fathers. Yeah. <laughs> we we all have to be very sort of strategic and selective as far as touring is concerned. So. Mm -hmm. We have to, you know, we, we want to go out, we're out, we're going to go out, we're playing shows. We're going to go do four shows in South Carolina. I mean, uh, North Carolina, excuse me. Uh -huh. uh, Cause someone invited us out there to do four shows. So we're going to do them. So, but uh, we want to go on a tour, but it needs to be for a reasonable amount of time because we'll be away from our kids and it has to be a tour that is purposeful and right. not not just pounding the pavement to two to six people a night until people start to actually like maybe catch you know you catch right like, no I totally yeah, yeah of yeah. course of course yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah. different so, different yeah you got to approach it a bit differently now that you're yeah, yeah. a dad yeah. and everyone's yeah, yeah. a dad and you have the to tour yeah I yeah you that. need to be able to sort of be making some kind of money to be able to like send home to the family and then also not be gone for too long because children need their fathers so sure. <laughs> totally agree totally agree yeah yeah i mean it'd be nice if we could you know if we if we had a bunch of money and we could like just take All everybody jump with. on the van jump, yeah, get yeah, a big yeah, bus yeah. and you know, yeah bring yeah. the whole family <laughs> yeah 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 the problem with touring with the bus is that's pretty much where all the money goes if you're right back you're into the bus it. yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean it's a nice thing but you're mm, you're not going to make very much money so yeah and it's not about money but i mean dude you got to live and you got to eat and you got to sleep. Right. And you have children that need to do that as well. Right. <laughs> so you I know, get it. That's the key. So, but yeah, for sure. Well, thank you cool. so much, William, for talking with me. I really appreciate yeah. it, man. This is so cool to hear this whole story. It's, yeah. You know, sunny you. day stuff, the new, the new record. And I, I really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Yeah. This was yeah. really cool. A lot of fun. Thank I have you. one more question for you before I let you go though, William. Yeah, I want to yeah, know if yeah, you have any, any advice for aspiring artists. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, uh, um, well, there's a lot, but <laughs> I, uh, but I guess the main one would be, um, do it for the sake of art and for the sake of expressing yourself and documenting the human experience and have that be the focus and not necessarily wanting to get attention or be famous or anything like that, because that's, that's a hollow pursuit, uh, creating music that is going to connect with people and get them to, uh, realize that they're not alone in the human experience. That's the focus. And you focus on that. And if, you manage to be able to get some sort of 
attention or success uh, as you know as well, then that's a great added bonus. But that successor or attention will be the result of people connecting with their music and the 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 expression of its of humanity that is is, is being conveyed. So essentially, uh, it's going to be more fulfilling if you're focused on the um, the important the most important aspect of music, which is documentary.